Hello, I'm Zeb Neuwirth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a customer-oriented value-based system of health. The views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization. Folks, we have an incredibly interesting and critically important topic today. That is the use of non-emergency medical transportation or ride sharing in healthcare. This may not occur to you to be one of the major issues in healthcare, but transportation or the lack of it is considered one of the major social determinants of health. I am delighted to invite Megan Callahan to this episode of Creating a New Healthcare. And before I introduce her, let's take a listen to a clip of our conversation. We believe that transportation healthcare is a significant barrier to people getting the care they need. 3.6 million people miss their appointments every year just because of lack of transportation, and that drives about $150 billion in cost. So friends, our, our guest this week is Megan Callahan, the VP of Healthcare at Lyft. Megan joined Lyft with more than 20 years of experience in the healthcare industry. Prior to her time at Lyft, she served as the Chief Strategy Officer at Change Healthcare, where she created the first enterprise strategy of this newly formed company and also created the healthcare policy and advocacy team uh, before Change Healthcare. She was the Senior Vice President of Corporate Strategy and Business Development for McKesson Technology Solutions, where she oversaw enterprise strategy, business development, and mergers and acquisition for this $3 billion healthcare IT business. Uh, Megan has an MPH from UCLA, and uh, she also volunteers with the San Francisco Homeless Prenatal Program. I, I think you're in for a real treat. She has such a strong background in healthcare and such a passion for healthcare. And I, I think you're going to hear that throughout the interview. So without further ado, let's drop into the interview that I uh, just recorded with Megan Callahan, the VP of Healthcare at Lyft. So Megan, it's such a pleasure having you on the program today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. Uh, thank you for, for doing this. I know how incredibly busy you are. So I know you're in between meetings. So let me just jump in with you and ask you the question, why is transportation such an important issue in healthcare today? Well, thanks for the question. Um, we believe that transportation healthcare is a significant barrier to people getting the care they need. 3.6 million people miss their appointments every year just because of lack of transportation, and that drives about $150 billion in cost. Um, and I actually think the number is probably north of there because that's a little bit of an, of an older stat. Um, you know, what Lyft is really doing is increasing America's access to health. And when we say that, we mean not only medical appointments, but also things that uh, programs or services that maintain a person's health um, or get them healthy. And I think we as an industry are recognizing the, the importance to that. And, you know, especially as our population ages and more and more people are moving into cities and the social dynamics change, the way our families are spread out geographically, you know, we're leaving more people without reliable social networks and transportation. And the work that we do is really critical to ensuring that people are able to get the care that they need when they need it. Yeah, that's great. And is this when you say access, so this is transportation to doctor's visits, what, what type of, of transport are you doing? 
Yeah. So transportation is really foundational to overall well-being. So I'm sure on your program, you talk about social determinants of health and ride sharing. Transportation is a social determinant of health and ride sharing is the most cost-effective, reliable, safe, and convenient option within the transportation space. In addition, uh, it is a conduit to other social determinants of health, whether that's healthy food or uh, pharmacy adherence, medication adherence, um, going to the gym, et cetera, and maintaining maintaining a healthy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I read also that Lyft has a grocery access program. And could you just say a word about that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We're really excited about that program. I think it's I think it's not only emblematic of what we're doing in uh, healthcare at Lyft, but also really uh, ladders back to Lyft's overall mission. We're a very mission-driven company. Our, our goal is to improve people's lives with the world's best transportation. And as part of our IPO, we set aside you know a certain amount of dollars to give back to the communities that we're in. And one of those initiatives that came out of those dollars was our grocery access program. So what that does is for people that live in uh, transportation deserts and food deserts, what we're doing is we're subsidizing uh, shared lift rides to get healthy food. So if you're in a neighborhood and you have, you know, a bodega and a 7-Eleven, that's really going to have a net negative impact uh, on you staying healthy. And so we started in Washington, D.C., working with certain nonprofits in Washington, D.C. And now I think we've expanded that program and we're I think we're in 15 uh, metropolitan areas across the United States um, and really excited about that program. And certainly a lot of the organizations that I speak to, health systems and health insurance companies are really interested in that program as they're trying to solve those same kind of issues for their members or their patients. I can't tell you how much I love that uh, program and hearing you talk about it. So this is a program where you're giving back. This is not a revenue uh, model for you. No, it is not. I mean, at, at some point, right, mm -hmm. we will want to find a sustainable programmatic approach uh, to, to that. Right now we're working with nonprofits, but, you know, I, I believe that uh, sponsoring organizations will pick up the mantle there and we'll be able to still service those people, but in, in a slightly different business model. Yeah. You know, and again, I love, I love that phrase. I've never heard that before. Transportation desert, which, you know, we've heard in the social determinants of health, we've heard about food deserts, as you describe, where there just aren't places in neighborhoods or communities to get healthy food, which is a huge, huge issue, obviously, and especially if you've got a chronic disease like diabetes or hypertension, uh, not being able to get healthy foods is, is makes all the difference and can end you up in an emergency room or hospital and needing much more medication than if you had that. So that is common parlance, at least in, in this literature. But transportation is a really lovely reframe because in, in some sense, it really is about transportation. It's about getting people to the right place. Did you guys make that up or is that something that is talked about? That's an excellent question. I don't think we did make that up. Um, I think if you look at accessible forms of transportation, you know, particularly um, for people that might have challenges with public transport in particular, I, I think that's an accepted term, but now you're going to make me go back and do my homework and see if we did make that up. <laughs> Well, I think you've done enough homework because it's, it's a fantastic program. And, you know, when you do touch upon, you know, as you're speaking and you talked about the issue of social determinants of health, just to, to lay this groundwork, I mean, we know from the literature that uh, the vast majority of the costs of care, of the morbidity and mortality is actually impacted upon not by sort of the straightforward clinical work, but it's actually by these social determinants of health. And even going beyond, you know, the formal definition of healthcare or health in communities where 
where in cities where people cannot get transportation or it's difficult, it's, it affects everything, including education, the ability to find work, you know, employment. So what you're doing is really a cornerstone of society and so of, of any viable social institution. So I, you know, again, I, I think you're making a, such a great point. You know, in hearing you speak and looking at, at your website and the literature that you put out, you really have made a, a big splash in the Medicaid programs around the country, and you've contracted with several now. So can you say a bit more about why these uh, statewide Medicaid programs are contracting with Lyft? And now I understand you're also working with Medicare Advantage programs. So can you say a little bit about that? Why are they doing that with you? Sure, sure. Well, non-emergent medical transportation, or NEMT, has been part of the Medicaid program since its inception in the 1960s. Um, and that manifests itself in many different ways over the decades, right? Everything from reimbursement for gas all the way up to, um, to livery and taxis. And for Medicaid, that's a, that's a key focus for us. We are now working with six different states. I would change the language just a little bit because we're not actually contracting with those states. Our model mm -hmm. is to work through our transportation manager partners or transportation broker partners. They actually have the contracts with the Medicaid programs or with the Medicaid MCOs. And, you know, we are really focused on vulnerable populations. And so obviously Medicaid, you know, lower income individuals certainly fit into that. Um, the elderly and Medicare Advantage obviously fits into that as well. It was really important to us to go after Medicaid for two reasons, not only because of what I just indicated and the fact that it's a vulnerable population, but, you know, quite frankly, it's a big part of the NEMT market. And if we're going to be a meaningful player, then those are, um, we have to have the trust of the state Medicaid programs. And we really have to work with them to understand their current programs and their current regulations, which obviously all of that was written well before rideshare companies came onto the scene and work with them in terms of how we can stay within the spirit of those regulations, but modernize them to accommodate for rideshare, which is, is you know, the most on-demand, direct route, cost-effective, and, and certainly a much more consumer-oriented and, and humanizing way of getting people to their medical appointments. So we first announced in June that we were enrolled as a provider in the state of Arizona, and you referenced health. I was on stage with Director Jamie Schneider, who runs all of Arizona Medicaid. She was really a pioneer in that space, making that, making that decision, and worked with Lyft for over two years around those regulations and how she felt it was beneficial to Arizona Medicaid beneficiaries to offer a ride share option. Um, and since that time, you know, we're now working with five additional states and have the opportunity to provide rides to close to 9 million Americans. And you'll see us continuing down that path to continue to open up the Medicaid market to TNCs. Around Medicare Advantage, Obviously, the fastest growing part of the of the Medicare program, about, I think, 22 million seniors are enrolled in that program now. And CMS, starting in 2018 and I think finalizing in 2019, really uh, gave uh, Medicare Advantage programs more flexibility in terms of uh, adding things to their supplemental benefit to different types of services like transportation that can improve the lives and the health of their beneficiaries. So in 2020, we'll be working with most of the largest Medicare Advantage programs to deliver rides. And I think an interesting thing that CMS did is they, they opened up not only 
transport for medical care, but for things to support medical care. And I've already given some some examples of those, but let's just say, you know, prescription pickup or community events. Um, and what they also did is they made it so that you could customize that by the population. So MA plans now have the flexibility to say, I would like to, you know, offer, I don't know, 12 rides a quarter to my diabetic population, but I'm only, I'm going to do something slightly different for my COPD patients. So I think it's really an interesting time as we look at population health and different types of disease cohorts to try and think of what are the tools outside of medical care that we can apply to make people and keep them healthy. So yeah, it's just so fascinating, the reframe of thinking of transportation and particularly the, the way Lyft is doing it and offering it as an, an integral part of healthcare and of health, but it, it is. And it's probably something we often, you know, don't think about. But to, to your point, it goes back literally to the beginning of the Medicaid program and now it's a Medicare Advantage. With Medicare Advantage or Medicaid, it's to doctor's offices. So if the need is there, can Medicare Advantage patients use Lyft to, you saying go to the pharmacy to pick up meds or are there other places that you can take them in, in service of their health? Yeah, well, I think it's, it, it's all up to the plan, right? In terms of what kind of benefits that they want to provide to that senior population. You know, we just in, in terms of context, because I think it's, it's helpful, we did a study uh, with USC and AARP and United where we offered unlimited lift rides to seniors in uh, the Los Angeles area. What was really interesting coming out of that is there's kind of a hypothesis that maybe seniors wouldn't use technology or seniors wouldn't use rideshare. And they absolutely did and loved it. 15% of those rides were to go to medical care, which was kind of the, you know, the hypothesis of the study, but 85% of those rides were to go to Things like what you just referenced, right? To pick up a prescription, to go to a community event, to go see you know, your grandchildren. And as you go through, and I just encourage people to go look for that study because they actually interviewed the seniors. And I think it's really fascinating to see seniors say, you know, I could ask my daughter to take me to the doctor. It's kind of part of her job description, but I can't ask her to take me to bingo night. That's just a bridge too far. And if you think about um, social isolation and how highly correlated it is with chronic disease, you know, I was really excited to see those results. And I'm hoping that we'll see, you know, the healthcare industry embrace that kind of, you know, totality of thinking in terms of how to keep people healthy. And I think we'll start to see that as MA plans kind of work through their benefits, you know, do some experimentation with this and see how it impacts their population. I think that we'll start to see this ramp up more over the next couple of years. I, I again, take my hat off to, I think the addressing of social isolation, it, it is such a major problem in our society and in, in the country, actually across the globe. Uh, you know, some of the numbers I've seen is somewhere between, you know, 30 to 50% of seniors are socially isolated. And and it's been compared to like smoking in terms of its health impact, smoking like half a pack of cigarettes a day. And it's such a big problem. For instance, in Britain, in England, they actually have someone in the government who's responsible uh, in the cabinet, who's literally responsible for social isolation, doing something about that problem there. So the idea that, you know, it's, I just find it fascinating. I would not have thought, though, that the vast majority of the use cases were actually around social isolation as opposed to clinical, but it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. My, my mother's 83 and I got a call from her on Sunday night. We had to go to an event at my sister's house and it's about an hour away and she can't drive at night anymore. And so she was lamenting that she wasn't going to be able to go to this big family event. And I said, well, mom, I might, I might have a solution for you. I might be able to figure this one out, even though you're 400 miles away, which was good. <laughs> That's fantastic. Some advantages. You know, it used to be that, you know, you wanted your son or daughter to be a doctor, but now you want them to be an executive at Lyft, right? 
Well, it is for everybody. Um, no, that's fantastic. You know, you mentioned the term rideshare. So could you just say what that is? And also how is Lyft different than let's say other rideshare options? Yeah. Well, I will describe rideshare. And then, you know, I realized that uh, for your listeners, I probably haven't adequately explained what we do in healthcare at Lyft. So I'm going to take a little bit of a step back. So, um, you know, rideshare is we're a technology driven uh, network company, generally app based, started as app based with the ability to call a ride on demand. Uh, we do not own the car. Lyft does not own the car and we do not employ the driver. So we're part of the gig economy. And for Lyft Healthcare, you know, we are not app based. Uh, in terms of how we call rides. So they're sponsoring organizations, uh, either the insurance company, health plan, or the health system, for instance. And we have a business-to-business platform um, called Concierge. And either a call center agent or a discharge nurse or an administrator actually calls the ride on behalf of the patient. If the patient does have a smartphone, that's, that's fantastic. We can, through text message, direct them where to meet their, their driver and their car. If they don't have a, a smartphone, we are able to um, direct them the same way through automated calls to a landline. So the beauty of it is that onus is really taken off the patient. This is done for them. It's paid for by somebody else. Uh, generally, you know, the customer satisfaction is incredibly high, not only because we're offering a premium, ex- not a, an experience that's not dissimilar from their normal life, and they feel like whoever sponsored that ride is caring for them in a way. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. Uh, so let's say I'm an elderly person, I'm in Medicare Advantage program, or, or I'm in a Medicaid program, and I want to get to the doctor, you know, and as part of my benefit plan, or I want to get to the, the uh, pharmacy or so how do I let the person who's going to actually order the lift uh, and arrange that? How do I let them know? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll go with the health plan example. It's probably just a slightly different than a, than a provider-based example. So if it is part of your benefit, then you uh, will likely have a 1-800 number on the back of your card or somehow communicated to you by your plan. And that is how you're engaging with Lyft. And I should really make sure that people aren't trying to book rides on the consumer app and then you know submit receipts somewhere. Um, it does go through. And those transportation brokers or transportation managers that I spoke about, you know, their whole job, well, they have many jobs, but they're really to manage the transportation benefit. And it's also to assess and triage the patient because Lyft is not appropriate for all types of patients. You have to be able to walk to the car, get into the car, get out of the car. And those transportation managers command all kinds of different fleets uh, for different populations. So they're, they're an integral part of this equation. You would pick, quite frankly, access Lyft in that in a health plan scenario, just like you would any other form of transportation as you had before the advent of rideshare. If you're a health system who's contracted with Lyft, generally that would be a, a discharge nurse um, for instance, in the ED, or if they have someone doing bed management and they they recognized either that you were unable to drive or you did not have a ride, they would call the ride for you. Mm-hmm. And let's say I was part of a provider group or healthcare system and I was going to a doctor's appointment, would the office actually call uh, the service that way? They they do it through through either a web browser or through an API that we have into whatever their EHR or whatever their workflow is, case management system, EHR, et cetera. You said they could do it through the electronic medical record system. They can. So we have a relationship with Allscripts um, where we're able to reach over 7 million Americans uh, seamlessly integrated through an API at all the logical points, discharge, 
storage, et cetera. And whoever the, you know, the nurse or the knowledge worker is can, can call the ride through our integration with all scripts. Do the Medicaid programs work similarly to the, the Medicare Advantage programs in terms of there's a 1-800 number? They do. They do. Okay. Yes. Okay. That makes it so much easier. So this is fundamentally different than the consumer app. It works very, very different. So, you know, these folks aren't having to work through an app. They work through calling a number and, and their system or their plan does it for them through this the other party that you were saying. So it is, it's instead of, you know, business to consumer or B2C, it's actually a B2B. It's business to business model that you have here. And you mentioned just a moment ago that I guess it's the transport company that is the intermediary here will help the the person, the patient, just figure out which which type of transport. So if they're in a wheelchair bound, Lyft may not be the appropriate option, or probably isn't the appropriate option. Correct, probably is not the appropriate option. Um, but I think what's interesting in that scenario is that by you know by offering Lyft is typically about thirty percent cheaper than other comparable transportation options, and obviously we're on demand. You know sometimes different types of fleets, different types of cars have to be scheduled three and four days in advance. Obviously, you don't have to do that with us. So often what we do is you know we're taking on capacity so that other higher order vehicles, whether that's you know a wheelchair accessible vehicle or you know you have to accommodate a gurney or or whatever it is, there's more uh, more supply of those higher order types of vehicles. That's a really really great point because to your point, these more costly vehicles take everyone whether they actually need them or not. And so now you've you've given a lower cost and in some sense, more convenient, right? Because uh, it's on demand. That's fantastic. Let me just ask a question. So how many, you mentioned before, 9 million patients on Medicaid across the country currently that you're, you're servicing. How many healthcare-related rides do you do a day? Do you have that number on the tip of your tongue? You know, I, I'm not allowed to share ride volumes and certainly not since we've gone public. We're pretty circumspect about that. So I'm sorry, I can't answer that question. But I will tell you, it's a very vibrant and growing part of our business and a place where, you know, we're putting a lot of focus. We have over 100 people working in the healthcare, in the healthcare business. Um, at Lyft. Can you give us a sense of how big a part of Lyft it is? So now you have a healthcare division. Are there other divisions as well within Lyft? There are. There, there are definitely other divisions. So within Lyft, so there's other business verticals that Lyft serves within an umbrella called Lyft Business. So that would be things like corporate travel, auto manufacturers, um, education, concert venues, uh, stadiums, universities. So, so that all comes under the umbrella of Lyft Business and healthcare is one of those verticals. Medicaid is using it. Medicare is, is advantages beginning to use it. These are value-based programs in that they're uh, in saving money. They're actually making themselves more sustainable and creating value for the payers. So what is the evidence that this actually has outcomes, whether it be health outcomes or experience outcomes or savings? Were you getting numbers like that? Yeah, well, you know, the the issue of, of, of health outcomes and savings is something that we are keenly interested in. And we have many, you know, statistics and studies from our partners that uh, track things around, you know, I mentioned this statistic, we're generally 30% cheaper than uh, comparable options. We bring down wait times by roughly 30% as well, increased quality of life, decreased missed appointments. So those types of statistics, you know, we have a lot of. I think if you look at impact on health outcomes, that's obviously a longer putt. And 
you know, as when I came on board here, I think there's a, there's a lot of data and evidence around NEMT as an industry being associated with cost effectiveness and uh, improvement in health outcomes, usually measured by adherence to, you know, a medication regimen or a decrease in acute care or increased quality of life. So we're really interested in how to take that lens and apply it to rideshare and show, you know, probably over multiple years, um, how an investment into a rideshare program really helps improve uh, not only costs, but health outcomes over the long term. When I looked at this, some of the literature online, there clearly are studies, like there's a study with Caremore, with Hennepin Healthcare, Boston Medical Center, uh, demonstrating, in fact, uh, reductions in no-show rates, uh, you know, annual savings and reduced transportation costs. And so, you know, again, the studies you were just mentioning, uh, in addition to the one you mentioned out, out on the West Coast, but then there there is this study that I came across, the Penn Med study, where where they didn't show great outcomes. And I'm curious why that is, and if there's certain characteristics of a community uh, that would make this more effective in terms of reducing costs and, and improving outcomes. Yeah, so I'm really actually glad that you answered that that question. So that particular study, I think, had had a couple of challenges with it that you know we see time and time again in, in terms of the studies that you you referenced previously identical to what we see. Um, so first thing that was done in you know an area that had other public transportation options. So and and the researchers didn't screen for transportation insecurity. And I think that that's something that I would definitely change in terms of study design because. Um, you know, if you're not transportation insecure, then, you know, using rideshare and having rideshare have an impact, right, would, would, would definitely have, have a difference. You know, I think I'm interested in seeing studies that really plug into the existing NEMT infrastructure and ecosystem, leveraging transportation managers and brokers who, who triage and manage patients every, every single day. But that, that's, I think, definitely one issue that I saw with that study was just the location, the, you know, abundance of public transport, and then the not screening for transportation insecure. Again, this is sort of a situation we encounter over and over again, that in a fee-for-service world, things that save costs, that uh, improve outcomes of care are not necessarily valued, whereas in a value-based world, like in Medicare Advantage programs or Medicaid programs uh, or potentially in ACOs, uh, this would make a lot of sense, right? I'm just kind of wondering, what's your take on this? Does this work in a fee-for-service world as well? You know, what do you think about the whole payment uh, movement going on in the country right now? Yeah, well, I think, you know, we're passionate about a lot of things here at Lyft. But uh, one of the things that me and my team are really passionate about is payment for, I think, for social determinants of health in general. And certainly transportation is a really important part of social determinants of health. You know, if you look at how we do that today, there's not a, a rigorous way to kind of codify the needs of a patient um, and then have that transcend all the clinical and financial and administrative systems. So if you think about, you know, what I described in terms of, you know, a patient calling in and, you know, getting assessed and getting triaged, you know, why can't that be coded in a doctor's office? And why can't they say, you know what, Zev is, you know, relatively ambulatory, appropriate for ride share. And then it's an exception-based process, right? If something happens to you and you need a higher level of, of service, but so that every either clinician or administrator who ran across, you know, Zev knew that he was transportation insecure and that could be a barrier to his care or to adherence to his care plan. That to me seems like something that we need to solve for 
as an industry in terms of not only identification, but then creating some kind of closed loop, you know, referral and process to where um, that's just that's just part of when you access care that we know that that is part of the equation that we've got to solve for. And and by the way, we're, we have fee schedules for all of these types of services and we know how much that is going to cost and we can include it into SGOH bundles. That would be appropriate for whatever your disease state was and probably also your ability or your inclination to access those services. Because I think we all know that certain people, even though they might need something for whatever reason, behaviorally, uh, you know, don't want to take advantage. So social determinants of health bundle. I want to hear what you're, what you, what you mean by that. I think that's intriguing. I, I mean, I thought where you were going would be something along, you know, could you actually code for this once, you know, identify it? At- well, that is part of it. That's definitely part of it. Can you code for it? And United, I think, came up with, I think they're calling them Z codes where uh, they're CPT-like codes they've created. And I definitely think that coding is part of it. That's why I was talking about getting it in a, in a codified way into different in, into different systems. So it's not, you know, we're constantly reassessing people and determining if this is a need or not. Right. And obviously in the current value-based payment models, if it's included in the benefits, you don't have to worry about any of that because it in, well, I guess you do have to worry about, you know, how you guys get paid, you know, through... Yeah, yeah, you have to worry how we get paid. I think part of it is just screening for the insecurity and that's a part of the equation, just as equal to, you know, the, the clinical side of it. Are you seeing that because, you know, we and other organizations, uh, by we, I mean, uh, Atrium Health, we we and others are, are doing now uh, screenings uh, when people go into the hospital to get admitted or even now visiting the physicians, we're using sort of these, the prepare tools, one example of a number of questions. So are you, are you beginning to see more of that? And, and uh, to be honest with you, I can't recall if transportation is included in, in that set of questions. You know, that's a great, I, I'm not sure to be totally candid. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure about that Dev. Yeah. It, it seems to me, you know, and again, I'm so inspired by, by hearing you speak both at the conference and now, but it just, again, if you put this into the picture of someone's healthcare this is just as important as any other step of the process and identifying it, as you point out. I mean, if the person can't get to the office, if they can't pick up their scripts, prescriptions, if they can't go get healthy food, they if they're socially isolated, all of that, these are major, major contributors to health or illness. And so it's hard to, knowing what we know now about social determinants of health, it, it's hard to imagine that we wouldn't include this in those questions, as you as you point out, identifying it as, as a barrier to health as we might anything else. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I think that's why I was really excited about the opportunity to come work at Lyft. I mean, to be very honest, I really had not thought about transportation within a healthcare context in my career. I've been in healthcare for 25 years, never really thought about transportation. But you think about it a lot when you are faced with needing it. And, you know, I talked a little bit in the beginning about vulnerable populations. And, you know, I know plenty of people who have a hard time navigating our healthcare system who are very knowledgeable and about the industry itself and educated. And, you know, uh, so if you think about those types of people having a hard time navigating, if you're a young mother on Medicaid uh, with two children and maybe you don't speak English as your first language, I mean, how do we help her figure it out. And, and that's something that we think a lot about here. Yeah. And, you know, in listening to you talk to, it's clear that you have a, a really great background in health 
care. And uh, um, I I guess on some level, I've, you know, just been wanting to ask you because I I can hear this, uh, you know, you talked about the passion you and your team have for this. Why, why is this so important to you? I mean, you, you came from a, a, you know, a different healthcare organization, change healthcare, and you were doing uh, slightly different work. So I'm, I'm kind of curious in terms of your own arc, uh, your professional arc and your, your arc of passion around this and interest and concern around this. What is that about? I think all of us get into healthcare for, for different reasons, right? You know, I started in epidemiology and, and, and healthcare services and, and got into IT because I was doing um, utilization and case management and disease management IT systems. And doing that kind of work, which by the way, transportation was always a barrier to care, right? That we were that we were assessing that in language were probably number one and number two. But doing that kind of work, you felt very close to the patient, and I think um, probably more for the reason that you got into healthcare in the in the first place. You know, when I was at Change, it was a fantastic it's a fantastic organization. The role was a little mile wide and an inch deep because I was chief strategy officer, so doing a lot of things, but not necessarily getting the satisfaction of really digging into one particular problem. So I think that coupled with wanting to get a little bit closer to to the patient and um, you know we talk a lot about access in healthcare generally relative to you know insurance and insurance coverage or lack thereof but you know there really is no truer form of healthcare access than actually getting people there. So, you know, those are a couple of reasons from a professional standpoint that you know I was pretty uh, excited about Lyft. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. It makes so much sense given you know where you started and where is lift going next what what are you know kind of your more proximal uh, plans and maybe even a little bit further down well i think that we've got our hands full right now with continuing with some of the things we've talked about so you know medicaid expansion medicare advantage um, expansion kind of influencing how transportation is viewed within within those programs. I think Lyft has done a really great job well before I arrived on the scene within the healthcare industry. We've been at this for four years now, uh, really created a really strong infrastructure of partnerships uh, with large organizations that control most of the rides uh, in this country. Uh, and they're very important partners of ours, as well as, you know, working directly with um, health systems and providers. So I think we have a really great foundation on which on which we can build. And for me right now, I mean, what I'm thinking about is how can I get uh, rideshare incorporated into more programs and just make it, you know, almost synonymous with, with healthcare transportation, of course, where it's an appropriate option. So you're working with the statewide Medicaid programs, not directly, as you said, you're so you're you're not talking to the departments of health and human services and states. You're you're working through the NEMT programs that you mentioned. We do talk to the state that the, the state Medicaid agencies directly about you know why they should incorporate rideshare into their Medicaid programs, but in terms of actually. I'm using air quotes, not that you can see it, but, you know, contacting with them, all of that goes through our our transportation broker partners. Okay. And in terms of Medicare, are you working with all the plans or, or in terms of Medicare Advantage programs? Yeah, the majority of the larger ones. And again, those that is through through our transportation broker partners. Same deal. And how about hospital systems or provider groups? Or, or is that something that's happening now or, or something in the future? Yeah. So right now, nine out of the top 10 uh, health systems are customers and we've got great, you know, relationships with, you know, Ascension and, and I'm sure you know who the other 
eight of the top of the top ten are. Yeah, so we we definitely work directly directly with them. That's funny. I actually was wondering what what the top ten were, but why would a hospital system or healthcare system contract? And again, is that through an intermediary? Is that directly with you? No, it's directly. It's it's generally directly with us. I mean, it, quite frankly, it can go it can go either way. And and if you're a larger organization, you might want you know a different type, either a broker or some kind of a a, pl- a different platform. You know, one of the more interesting use cases, or I guess you know, uh, use case that that started it was emergency departments used to have slips of paper they would they would hand out called taxi vouchers, and you know if you didn't have a ride or you know couldn't couldn't drive your car, they would give you this this voucher and, and put you in a taxi. And you know if you think about that, a you don't know if the patient actually got home or wherever they were going. You have absolutely zero visibility into that. And B, you don't know that that taxi driver took the most direct route. So you don't know what your bill is going to be when they invoice you at the end of the month. And obviously with a platform company like Lyft, which, you know, can track exactly the route that the driver went, you know, we're able to, um, in some instances, give upfront pricing and tell them what it's going to cost to get to get you home and really create transparency that is a big help with fraud, waste, and abuse. I mean, if you, there's a GAO paper um, from 2016 that kind of analyzed the the transportation industry, the NEMT industry, and really called out, you know, how fragmented it is and how, I guess, open to, 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 to fraud, waste, and abuse, just given the current, you know, patchwork of, of different types of cars and lack of technology in those fleets. You know, what Lyft offers is certainly, you know, head and shoulders above that model. Do you have a favorite Lyft healthcare consumer story? Do I have a favorite Lyft healthcare consumer story? And if you know, that's fine. I just, I was curious because I, I can hear how uh, patient-centered you are. Obviously, one was with your, with your mom, uh, which is, I think, a perfect story and a perfect example of, of the need for this service. But um, yeah, I'm just wondering if you collect consumer stories, healthcare consumer stories, because I think given the number of rides you are offering uh, across the country now and the increasing number. I mean, you're, you know, the work you're doing is, and I don't think this is any exaggeration by any means, it's life-saving. Yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting that you ask that because we have been working um, to collect some of our patient stories. And I think that you'll see, you'll see more um, from us around that. But I think probably, you know, uh, one of the most impactful stories was a woman uh, with, with, rather advanced breast cancer that previous to Lyft um, was being put in a shuttle, um, you know, with five or six other individuals would take generally, you know, two hours to get to her appointments, two hours to get home, uh, you know, as the crow flies, that was probably about a 20 minute ride. She's obviously sick and fragile and immunocompromised and has all kinds of issues. But that was the way that she got to and from, you know, her chemo and her different cancer treatments. So when she was offered Lyft, I mean, it was completely game changing for her in terms of obviously convenience, but not only that, I'd, I'd say peace of mind. And it just took one more thing off of her plate that she didn't have to worry about because it was a rather stressful situation before Lyft came along. I don't want to overplay our hand here, but she was so effusive about her experience with Lyft and how we improved her care journey. I think that's that's one story that that really touched me. That's a really, really meaningful story. Thank you for sharing that really paints a completely different picture. Um, and, and even that that notion of the time it takes, right? It's a healthcare safety issue. It's 20 minutes instead of uh, two hours is 
is just profound. I know I have to wrap up with you so you could get you to your next meeting, but is there anything else uh, that you could tell us or any sort of final comment or, or kind of direction to us? No, I would just, I was going to thank you for the opportunity to, to come and talk about this. You know, I mentioned that my entire career has been in healthcare and, and I, I never really thought about transportation um, until, you know, I needed it. Members of my family needed it when, when I started really digging into the space. So, you know, I think although it is, it, it seems basic to a lot of us, um, you know, it is rather complicated under the covers. And, you know, Lyft is doing everything that we can to simplify it for patients, to simplify it for members, to simplify it for our partners, and make sure that we're a really, you know, reliable, safe, cost-effective option. And I don't get to tell that, you know, that story um, to, you know, an audience like yours very often. So I um, just want to thank you for highlighting it. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. I am I am so inspired. I I can't believe I'm I'm inspired by you know transportation, but but it, it no, but it is. And uh, you've got me thinking about so many ideas. That paper you mentioned about uh, the study out in the West Coast. Uh, again, uh, I'm I'm just thinking how how I could bring that here and uh, create a situation, a viable financially viable situation where we're offering uh, our patients, especially the older uh, folks who are who are really uh, housebound. You know the option to go to family members and community uh, centers and church and I mean uh, I just think that is just such a humanitarian need right now and uh, and I'd like to see that happening at healthcare systems across the country. You and me both. You and me both, and we we can help get you there. We have all kinds of all kinds of conversations to be had there. Well, maybe I'll follow up with some of your some of your colleagues and see if we can make that happen. That'd be awesome. That'd be great. Yeah. Folks, I want to thank our guest, Megan Callahan, for being part of creating a new healthcare and bringing us such fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions in our quest to advance a sustainable, value-based, consumer-oriented healthcare system. And as you heard here in this episode, a system that is far more humanistic, uh, addressing the needs of the elderly and vulnerable populations. Uh, again, as I mentioned during the interview, I, I was so inspired by speaking to her and my understanding of the importance of transportation as a, a key component of healthcare delivery was really enhanced by uh, by what she had to say. And, and as always, as I do every episode, I'd like to thank all of you out there who are doing the hard work each and every day of taking care of patients or those of you who are supporting those who are taking care of patients. I and we truly appreciate you for what you do and recognize how critically important your work is to individuals, families, communities, and our society. As always, I hope you've benefited from this podcast episode as much as I have. Uh, my goal is to provide you with useful information as well as encouragement and inspiration and to really serve as a catalyst for reframing and transforming our healthcare system. This is Zev Neuwirth on Creating a New Healthcare. Until next time, be well.